0: Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today to a special live broadcast of The Candace Malcolm Show. I want to talk to you today about how the Canadian media is bought and paid for by the Trudeau government. This is why we see when Justin Trudeau is abroad or when we start to have a news cycle in Canada that gains interest in countries outside of Canada, that what you find is that the foreign press are far more fair. They're far more critical of Justin Trudeau than our own press. It is because the Justin Trudeau government pays our press, pays the legacy media in Canada for favorable coverage. There's no other way to look at it. So as you know, Justin Trudeau is in Europe right now. He is over there on his, I I don't even know what to call it. It's like a photo op tour. He's out there doing photo op diplomacy. He's going to solve, he's going to create world peace, solve the Ukraine, Russia conflict uh, by by doing selfies and and taking uh, smiley photos of himself. Uh, One of the strangest things uh, that that I've seen so far, well, first interesting thing is that Justin Trudeau couldn't even get into 10 Downing Street for his meeting with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson because of the protests. So the fact that in Canada, the legacy media is perfectly happy to just sweep the issue under the rug, say the trucking convoy is over, the emergency act was justified. Everyone who was at the riot were everyone who was at the protest, sorry, were rioters or violent thugs, uh, insurrectionists, people trying to overthrow the government. The, The legacy media was perfectly happy to parrot Justin Trudeau's talking points. And yet when he goes to another country, any other country outside of Canada, he gets treated in a totally different way. He's not even welcome through the front door. And the media notice it. The media notice it. So Justin Trudeau, I I don't understand his policy when it comes to masks, because first we saw him meeting with the queen. The queen is our 95-year-old monarch. She recently had COVID. And here is Justin Trudeau, a couple of feet away from her, maskless, which I'm fine with that. I don't wear a mask in my day-to-day life. I don't think you need to wear a mask. I think masking is idiotic. And so I'm, I'm okay with it. If there were a rare circumstance where I would wear a mask, it might be around a frail elderly person such as the Queen, especially someone of such importance. And yet later that day, uh, here is Justin Trudeau meeting with the UK Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer, both masked. What what the heck is going on here? Why is Justin Trudeau meeting this time with a younger, a young man? I don't know how old the leader of the UK Labour Party is. He's probably in his 40s. So not someone who is in a severe risk category when it comes to COVID. And yet our Prime Minister is masked up looking like a total idiot, especially given that in the UK, They've completely moved on past COVID. They have since January. Boris Johnson, the prime minister, made that announcement saying COVID is over. We're going to learn to live with COVID now. No more masks. No more masks in schools. No more working from home. Life is back to normal. So in the UK, they have a normal life again. In Canada, we're just slowly, slowly getting there. But just the, the, the strange optics of seeing our prime minister out there wearing masks, uh, there was also uh, a, a clip of him giving a press conference where he was still wearing his mask. This, this makes no sense to me. You're, you're, you're speaking. The reason that you're there is to answer questions and to speak. When you have a mask on, it's totally muffled and you can't really understand what the guy is saying. Uh, However, when it comes to Trudeau, I'm I'm actually kind of for that because he's just so irritating and everything he says is complete nonsense. So I I do want to play this clip. This is him thanking the uh, Latvian prime minister for pushing back against what he calls misinformation and disinformation. So according to Justin Trudeau, the key to preserving our democracy is through censorship of information that he doesn't like. This is like his guiding principle here in Canada. So let's play that clip. And uh, pushing back against uh, the Russian aggression that is absolutely unacceptable. Quite frankly, you have been uh, living not just, uh, with the threat, uh, not just with the military threat, not just with a history of occupation that is all too real for so many uh, of your, uh, your citizens, Uh, but also the daily use of propaganda and disinformation to try and undermine uh, the democracies and the values that you have, something that is uh, right now being weaponized against Ukraine, uh, but also used very actively in uh, all democracies around the West. And we need to get stronger and learn uh, much uh, from all of you uh, in your capacity to push back. Uh, with uh, strengthening your citizens against uh, that sort of information and disinformation, I don't understand why he's wearing a mask, but again, it might be better because hearing his voice and and seeing his face might might be worse uh, than 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 the masked up. The content of what he's saying is so irritating as well. So first of all, he's talking about how there is propaganda when it comes to the war. I completely agree with that. There's propaganda on both sides. There's constant stream of misinformation. I think that everyone should be skeptical about anything that you hear coming out of a war zone on both sides, on all sides. We should all have a skeptical view of information, which is why we need more information. We need to be able to verify what we're seeing and what we're getting. And the only way to verify, again, is having more accounts, more journalists, more people out there, more videos, more perspectives, so that we can try to put things into context and to understand. If we just say, okay, Russian side misinformation, uh, propaganda, bad censorship, and take everything that's coming out of Ukraine from Ukrainian officials uh, as the truth w- without any skepticism uh, we're going to end up in a very bad situation so so i think that we should be incredibly skeptical of information that comes out of Russia i think that we should take everything that's being said with a grain of salt equally the other side what 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 is trudeau's what is trudeau's solution to this well he says that in order for us to strengthen our democracy we need to uh, we need to take control of, of misinformation and disinformation. We know what that means because here in Canada, he has his own internet censor, internet censorship bills. He wants to be able to uh, censor the algorithm on social media platforms like YouTube and Facebook. And he wants to uh, ban what he calls hate speech, making people take down alleged instances of hate speech within 24 hours is therefore eliminating the idea of due process altogether. You remember Bill C-10 and C-36 from last parliament. Fortunately, not Neither of them passed, but now we have the new bill, C-11, uh, which is, is just as bad because, of course, it covers user-generated content. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, the, the interesting thing, though, when when we see Justin Trudeau abroad and we see him through the lens of the foreign press, they don't treat him with the kid gloves that our media treat him with. They don't They don't give him the benefit of the doubt. They don't spin his propaganda. They don't tell his lies. They hold him to account. And it's refreshing it's incredibly refreshing. Throughout the convoy, I found myself, uh, part of my job, part of what I do is I Read a lot of news. I, I feel like most people watching probably do as well. You, you're heavy news consumers. And so I try to get my news from a as broadest as source as possible, including the legacy media in Canada, including independent media, and now increasingly the foreign press. And I, I feel like the foreign press is so much more accurate. And, and there's such a difference between the legacy media in countries like the US and the UK versus in Canada. So much so that during the trucker Convoy, there were two instances where the New York Times. Uh, put out information, and all of a sudden they were getting shamed by Justin Trudeau's friends at the CBC and the Globe and Mail, to the point where the the New York Times censored what they said, edited it, uh, said that they had made a mistake uh, when they said that Canada was suspending Uh, human rights or civil rights in in Canada, which is true. I mean, the idea that you could have your bank account suspended without any kind of due process, without any kind of court order is a suspension of civil liberties. So it was accurate what they said the first time, but they got shamed by the bullies in the legacy media uh, to comply. Well, one of the things uh, that that I've appreciated, I've got a couple of them. First of all, here is a radio host, a, a group of UK radio hosts, blasting Trudeau, reminding him of what just happened in the trucker convoy. Justin Trudeau was a benefit of an incredibly fast uh, shift in the in the news cycle, right? So he had the Emergency Act. Uh, he, he cleared out Ottawa over the weekend. They finally voted on it the Monday after he cleared the protests away. And Wednesday, just two days after they had enacted the thing, he revoked it and and said that the crisis was now over. Usually that would be the time where the media would start putting a lot of scrutiny and trying to like put together all the loose ends and try to figure out what, what just happened. Uh, but fortunately for Trudeau, A few hours later, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and announced that invasion. And and all of a sudden, we were in a conflict and war. And so everyone in the media immediately shift their focus to that. And they started shaming anyone who was still talking about Canada. Like, how dare you talk about something so uh, trite as as what happened in Canada? We've got a real war going on. Uh, I still see journalists on social media, uh, you know, criticizing someone like Pierre Polyev uh, for talking about Canadian domestic issues, as opposed to like everyone can only focus on Ukraine and the war, and we're not allowed to talk about anything. We're not allowed to have any complaints or any concerns about our own civil liberties and our own democracy, the decay of our own democracy at home. Well, fortunately, there's still some level-headed journalists over there in the UK. So let's let's play this clip of radio hosts talking in a normal way, like normal people see see Justin Trudeau without the filter of, of the Canadian media, which, of course, are bought and paid for by Justin Trudeau. So here's that clip.
1: He gave this great long diatribe today against Putin, saying that he wants respect for sovereignty. He wants to have democracy stood for. Oh, yeah. He wants to stay true to these values. He wants to fight for that all over the world. This was a man that basically froze the bank accounts of truckers, mm-hmm. decided that he was going to, to forcibly round them up. He took tactics directly out of the rulebook of Vladimir Putin to deal with his own people. And then he has the audacity and the lack of self-awareness to stand at a podium and tell us that he wants to fight for sovereignty and democracy. Mm-hmm. He's a hypocrite. He has a neck made of brass and he's a moron. He really and he's a plank. He really is. It'd he's be been on this show already this year for has some he? of the actions that he's taken. So for him to be on it yet again, that's going to keep him pretty he's, much he's, up Yeah, there. But he, he also, all the, the protesting truckers, most of whom were vaccinated, by the way, in any case, um, he also branded them racist and misogynist, didn't he? Did. he? And when a, a Conservative MP stood up and said, like, you can't say that, you can't slander them that way, he said, well, maybe you might be happy to stand with swastikas and fed- confederate flags, but I'm not she was a jewish mp <gasps> oh. yes. He's, he He's really is plank. an absolute idiot he really has no self-awareness as to what he was doing and now putin is clamping down on protesters treating them absolutely appalling you know obviously there's no comparison between what trudeau um, has done with his people and what putin is doing the canadian police were pretty rough with but them, the canadian though, police were really rough and, and you, he was clamping it... down on free speech and protest yeah has yeah, freezing their bank accounts confiscating their pets their pets
0: with, with a potential kind
1: of... threat of... And also, did he not say he was going to kill the pet? Yeah. If they didn't anyone came it. near Dominique Devereux or Dolly Parton, I'm telling you, right now, there would be murders. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So there you have it. Justin Trudeau is the plank of the week. I I love uh, British slang and British English because I'd never heard of plank before, but it's such an apt and fitting uh, description of our prime minister. And again, just the real talk, the straight talk. This is how people viewed the protest, this was how the Emergencies Act was viewed. Even the name of the Emergencies Act is a complete euphemization of what it was. It was martial law. It was the suspension of civil liberties and due process, a thuggish prime minister clearing out peaceful protesters because he disagreed with them. Basically, that's what it boils down to. So much of the justification that Justin Trudeau had leading up to the use of the uh, excessive force against protesters was based on fabrication invented by Trudeau, his, his spokespeople, and his friends in the legacy media. They span a, a story that had no bearing in reality, and so many people f- fell for it. I'm glad that there are real journalists out there looking at the situation, looking at things clearly, who haven't fallen for uh, under Justin Trudeau's spell in the way the legacy media is. So look, I wanna talk a little bit, I I was invited to give a speech over the weekend and I talked about media bias in Canada. So I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about what I spoke about at this dinner that I spoke on on Saturday night. And it was trying to understand the timeline and and how we got to this situation where our media are so bought and paid for by the government. Because some people say, look, the media has always been biased, CBC has always been just awful, Uh, but I don't remember it being this bad. I don't remember it being such a hive mentality, you know, such a groupthink in the legacy media. So unwilling um, to 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 move away from the, the the approved talking points. During every election, we see where the liberals will come up with their attack ad of the day, their their line of attack against the conservatives of the day, and the legacy media will instantly pick it up and use that as their line of attack against the conservative. Uh, candidate or whoever the conservative is at that time and and, and there's so much in lockstep there's there, the media in Canada is so agenda driven they are so focused on promoting Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. So how did that come to be? How did it come to happen? Again, CBC has always been funded by the CBC by by the by the federal government even under the Harper era. I think Harper made a crucial mistake in not just completely defunding the CBC. I think whoever's the next leader of the Conservative Party needs to just tear it off like a band-aid. No cuts, no cutting the budget, no reviewing the mandate. Get rid of it. Get rid of it because it is a cancer in our society and it will constantly forever lead to unfair media coverage in Canada. So the CBC was, w- during the Harper year, in 2012, the Harper government decided that they were going to try to balance the budget. They were going to get rid of the deficit spending that they had run during the financial recession. So they decided that they were going to cut the, bu- uh, the the budget of every single department somewhere between 5 and 10%. In that, they decided that they were going to do a 3% cut of the CBC. They were going to cut $115 million over three years, represents a 3% cut to a budget that was over $1.1 billion of federal money at the time. So in the 2015 general election, NDP leader Thomas Mulcair, remember him? He used to be the opposition leader, and he, it looked like he was the one that was going to become the next prime minister should Stephen Harper lose. Well, he said that he was going to reverse those cuts. So, so Harper cut uh, 3%. Mulcair was going to reverse those cuts, not to be outdone. Justin Trudeau jumped in, and he pledged that he would give the CBC an additional $150 million per year. So that's a 15% increase to a budget. Harper cut it by 3%. Justin Trudeau reacted by pledging to increase it by 15%. So you were in the middle of an election, and you had one politician... Bribing, well, two politicians kind of jumping over each other who could bribe the CBC with taxpayer money more. Imagine being a journalist at the CBC. Like, how are you supposed to cover that fairly? One guy wants to cut your budget, the other guy wants to give you a 15% raise. It, how in any world would you be able to objectively and fairly cover the news? It's just not possible. People respond to incentives. Money matters. Follow the money. That's like it's, it's just such a basic principle. The fact that the budget of the CBC became politicized that way, I think, is incredibly undermining to the idea of a fair press, a free and fair, neutral press, because the money is involved. OK, so anyway, we all know what happened. Justin Trudeau won the election. What did the CBC do with that additional one hundred and fifty million dollars a year Well, they put it towards building a digital media site. So cbc.com is the number one news source for Canadians for online news. So when, when, when someone is looking up a news story, when someone wants to go read the news, most Canadians go to the CBC. They did a good job of building up and boosting a digital presence online that didn't really used to be there prior to 2015. It had been there, but they really expanded it. Well, at the same time, you have newspapers who are moving from a subscription-based model where people would get physical papers, like my parents, my dad, he still gets the Vancouver Sun delivered to his house every day. He reads it from cover to cover. He's been doing that for his whole life, I don't know, maybe 50 years, reading the paper cover to cover. Uh, I haven't read a physical newspaper in years. Uh, Most millennials, we read the news in just as great of a number as baby boomers, but we don't read physical newspapers. We read them on a phone or a tablet. So everyone's moving online, including the newspapers, and they're trying to build this value that you have to pay for your news, that it can't be free. So all of these newspaper uh, companies, the Post Media, Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, they have paywalls. Well, think about it. If you're searching for a news story and two choices come up, you have one story on the National Post and you have one story on CBC, Uh, National Post requires you to pay to read it. And the CBC, you read it for free. People are going to click on the CBC. So this upset the newspapers. They said, hey, wait a minute, you're giving CBC this unfair bailout, this unfair um, tilting of the playing field so that they can provide news for free, whereas we have to charge people for it. And so the, the the newspapers got angry. They started complaining and lobbying to the Trudeau government that because of the Trudeau's own policy towards the CBC, it was basically putting them out of business and making it harder for them uh, to compete. So there's a quote from uh, Philip uh, Crawley, who is the Global Mail's publisher. He told the House of Commons Heritage Committee that it's not a level playing field when taxpayer dollars are directed towards the public Uh, broadcaster making uh, competition for digital ad dollars more difficult. The former Globe and Mail parliamentary bureau chief, Sean McCarthy, likewise said, how do you persuade people to buy expensive subscriptions to the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail when they can go and get content for free at the CBC? It's a huge challenge for papers. So this was all happening in 2017, 2018. This debate was going on. Trudeau had a problem. He subsidized the CBC those subsidies were going in direct competition with legacy newspapers, and the newspapers weren't happy for it. Well, Justin Trudeau, being a completely wise, cynical uh, jackass, willing to subsidize absolutely anyone and bribe journalists, uh, he used his old trick from 2015. In the 2019 election, just like he bribed the CPC journalists back in 2015 and 2019, he bribed the newspaper journalists. So right before the 2019 election, you had uh, Trudeau's finance minister Bill Morneau, in the 2019 federal budget, announce a 595 million dollar cash injection into Canada's failing newspaper industry. So so right before an election, exactly the same thing: 600 million dollars to the newspapers, and 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 the rest is history. I mean, they they won that election. They continue to fund the newspapers. H- how is it that we have of free and fair press in this country that are subsidized or funded entirely by the Trudeau government. It is it is absolutely uh, mind-boggling that, that people don't see this as a major conflict, as a major threat to the independence of journalists. I mean, you can say, look, these journalists are professional and they're not going to let the, the funding of their parent company uh, impact their journalism. But the fact that they are funded the fact that their jobs in some way are are subsidized and reliant on trudeau is is it begs a question when you're reading a piece when you're reading the national post go out there and defend Christia freeland saying that it's not her fault that she was waving a nazi banner at a ukraine rally even though she's ukrainian canadian and she knew exactly what that banner meant anyone anyone from ukraine knows what that red and black banner means they actually found someone to whitewash and downplay the idea of blood and soil, a Nazi chant, a racist Nazi chant. Uh, w- when you see stories like that, you kind of have to wonder, uh, w- well, w- would you be so defensive of the liberal government? Would you be writing this article if they weren't paying you? It's it's really, really unbelievable. I think more people should be involved, uh, should be aware of it, and that we should do something to stop it. I absolutely believe that whoever is the next conservative leader has to get rid of this ridiculous relationship that we have in Canada between the media and the government. There needs to be a complete separation between media and government. I mean, it's just, it's it's mind-boggling that it even needs to be said. But in Canada, it is a major problem. Okay, guys, well, I'm doing a live broadcast today. I don't usually do these shows live, but we decided to try it out here on Wednesday. And so I would like to answer questions. We could do a little bit of a Q&A here for the last five minutes of the show. So if you have any questions that you want me to Address, I would be happy to answer those questions. Uh, I'm going to ask my producer if we have any questions that have come in uh, through email or through the chat here on Facebook or YouTube. I'll ans- ask a question from Brady Hall. Brady says, Where is our country headed? It feels like we are on a very slippery slope, and that before we know it, life in Canada will be completely different? Uh, Look, I I feel like we've been on a uh, slippery slope for a long, long time. Um, I think COVID was really bad for our country, and it created a lot of divisions between people who had the luxury of working from home, working behind a computer. It actually made their life better and easier because they didn't have to commute, and uh, people who had to go out there and work. And I will say I was really disheartened and dismayed throughout much of the pandemic uh, by the lack of pushback. By Canadians against really overzealous totalitarian policies, telling people that they couldn't go hiking in a park because they could get COVID, like completely nonsensical rules. I wanted Canadians to fight back. Um, For the most part, we are rule abiding, law abiding people and we went along. And I think that many people hit the end of their rope and said enough is enough. And I think that the trucker convoy was one of the most inspiring things that I have seen in this country in a very long time. It gives me so much hope and so much pride in our country. And I, I think even the idea that the Freedom Convoy, you know, made its way around the world. I did radio interviews and TV interviews and. Lots and lots of foreign countries, the U.S., the U.K., India, uh, people are interested in the Freedom Convoy. And I think more and more our Canadian flag has now become a synonymous with that sort of uprising against the government and that that stand. And I think that's something that we should be uh, incredibly proud and and uh, pleased about. So, so is the country heading in the wrong direction? I think Justin Trudeau is trying to lead us in the wrong direction. Uh, thank God for the common sense of the Canadian truckers and the people who supported them because that does give me hope that that there is another Canada, and it's that Canada that we need to tap into um, and and try to represent. Okay, another question here from Layla Dawson. This question says, why is Canadian media so obsessed with the Ukraine conflict and not covering what's going on in Canada? I kind of covered this earlier in the show, the idea that it was like the perfect timing for Trudeau, right? Like, it enabled him to avoid any kind of scrutiny, any kind of accountability for the absolute disaster of a policy that he had created. Was never, he was never—he—he he never went to try to have any kind of dialogue with the truckers. He never wanted to listen to their grievances. He never wanted to address their concerns. He only wanted to denigrate them. He only wanted to smear them and slam them and dismiss them and do—you know—do everything he can to attack them. Well, the media let him get away with it, and then he took advantage of that changing news cycle. Now he's in Europe, uh, What solving the crisis of the world through selfies and smiley photos with soldiers. Uh, (laughs) The media is obsessed with it because it it covers for Trudeau. And it allows them to fixate on a villain, right? We just had Donald Trump for four years. They fixated on Trump. They fixated on how terrible he was, how horrible it was. It allowed them to not cover what was going on in our own country, rather than keeping Trudeau accountable, holding Trudeau accountable, covering Trudeau, like the whole purpose of the CBC and its mandate is to talk about Canada and tell Canadian issues. You turn on The National most nights during the Trump presidency and the top like three news stories were always about Trump and what was going on in the U.S. Well, now they found a new, even better villain in Vladimir Putin. And so they obsess over him and talk about how terrible he is. Uh, look, I'm, I'm I'm in agreement. I think that uh, Vladimir Putin is a tyrant and a war criminal and that he Uh, (laughs) abuses human rights at home and increasingly abroad. I don't think he's good. Uh, But I don't think that the purpose of the Canadian media is to obsess and fixate on him rather than focus on our own problems in Canada. So I'm with you. I think that we need to focus more on what's happening at home, fix our own country, fix our own mess before we go out and try to meddle in foreign countries. Uh, Let's see what else we have. Uh, Let's see over here. Uh, we have something from Allison McKenzie. Will the defund the CBC petition have any effect? Well, I, th- I think I think it will, just because right now we're in the middle of a conservative leadership race, and we know what happened last time around with Aaron O'Toole. He was one of the main proponents of saying let's defund the English CBC when he was leading, running for leader of the Conservative Party. Of course, when he became leader and was running the general election, he completely changed his tune and backed away and abandoned. All of, all of those promises and those pledges, which is why he's no longer leader of the party. Uh, but I, I think the petition matters because it shows uh, how important this issue is to the Conservative base, how it motivates people, how angry and upset they are with the media. And I think CBC really is the root of the problem. So, you know, having tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people sign that, it signals to any future Conservative leader that this is a big priority for Canadians and for Conservatives. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, so, this one's from Tanner Meyer. It says, "What can the average Canadian do to fight back? It feels like there isn't anything we can do. The government, and if we do, the government can freeze our bank accounts." This is this is the point, right? This this was the real purpose of the. Uh, Emergencies Act. It wasn't just to punish the 210 people who had their bank accounts frozen, although it certainly was um, to put a chill down their spine and and to terrorize them. And I, I want to make a point that. Following 9/11 in the United States, following the terrorist attacks of 9/11 that murdered 3,000 people, including I think 150 Canadians, um, the U.S. government initiated one of the most like heavy-handed responses in terms of their domestic surveillance, in terms of their security apparatus. And during that time, they only froze the bank account, I believe, of 182 individuals. So, so when, when it came to Al Qaeda terrorists. The U.S. government, following the biggest attack on uh, the ho- on homeland security in American history, um, they froze 180 bank accounts. Justin Trudeau, uh, dealing with basically a bunch of truckers who parked uh, illegally, so like a parking uh, dispute, uh, froze more bank accounts than George Bush did after after 9/11. So to wrap your head around. But the the, the purpose of it was, was not just to punish those 100 or 200 people. It was to, to scare everybody into not wanting to donate to the causes that they believe in, not wanting to donate um, to a future trucker convoy or to the Conservative Party of Canada or to True North or to the rebel, um, making people think twice and, and feel afraid about donating to those causes because they don't want their bank accounts frozen. They don't want their lives destroyed. And so uh I I, th- I think that that is what we have to fight back against. We cannot take this lying down. We have to continue uh, to fight back. Uh, what what can Canadians do? I mean, I think you have to go out there. I think that these these convoys are continuing. I heard uh, from some people that there's a convoy every single weekend now on Vancouver Island. They drive from the northern island all the way down to Victoria. And uh, I saw a bunch of people in Ottawa again over the weekend. I think, you know, we need to get up and continue. This isn't over, this is a movement. It's not just a one-time protest. This is, like I said, an uprising. And I I think we have to continue uh, to fight. Uh, Okay, let's do one more question here. And then I'm gonna jump inside because I got to get my kids uh, dinner and bedtime uh, routine going here. So final question here will come from Isaac Goddard. Sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly goddard uh why were the conservatives so quiet for so long nobody said anything against vaccine passports during the election and only now after the protest do we see some conservatives speaking up <laughs> such a good point such a good point and i think that that is i mean the answer is is right there it's like we had uh the conservatives were led by a completely ineffectual Uh, non-conservative, someone who wasn't willing to defend conservative ideas and values, someone who wasn't willing to stand up against the legacy media, someone who wasn't willing to push back against polls. So, so, you know, maybe polls were saying that Canadians wanted vaccine passports or Canadians wanted more government uh, zealous interventions in our society and our economy. Uh, What we need in a conservative leader is someone to push back against that. We did not have that Aaron O'Toole and that's why he's no longer a leader. That's why he is gone. And so I think there's a lesson in that. Again, I hope whoever is the next leader of the Conservative Party will learn from the horrendous mistakes made by Aaron O'Toole that you cannot just get elected as a liberal light. That's not what Canadians want. Uh, If they wanted a liberal politician, they'll just continue to vote for Justin Trudeau. They want something different. And Uh, Aaron O'Toole didn't answer that. So I I hope whoever the next leader is will fight back. We'll say we've just lived through something that is completely unacceptable. We have to go back and examine what happened, what went wrong, why why the government was able to undermine our rights, why they disrespected the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, why they didn't follow it. Uh, There's so many times, so many instances where the Charter was undermined. So let's make sure that that can never happen again, that we never give government, that power, that we never give up our liberties in that manner again. I I think it's so incredibly important, especially you had uh, Theresa Tam, the chief health officer, make a comment about how we might have to go into lockdowns again if there's another wave. Like, no, no. Uh, I think uh, enough Canadians have have said that is not a good solution. That's not scientific. It doesn't help. And it didn't reduce the death toll. It didn't improve anybody's life. It made everything worse. So we're not going to do that again. I think we need strong leadership in this country to push back against that. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning. It's been really fun to come live with you. Like I said, I got to get inside. I got two little kids. I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're inside with grandma right now. So I got to go in and help with their dinner and bed. But I, I really appreciate everyone joining us for the live edition. I think we're going to do it every Wednesday. So uh, watch out for it next Wednesday. I really appreciate everyone. Tuning in and all your support of True North. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is the Candace Malcolm Show.